Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Wednesday. It's April 19th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your calls today, 1030, 1115, 602, 260, 1060 is the number. We'll, of course, get into the Phoenix. Suns picking up a game to win over the Clippers 123 to 109 yesterday. We'll dissect all of that here shortly, but first let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question inspired by the Suns game two victory. What was the bigger reason for the Suns game two victory? The options are basketball skills or effort and Bob effort continues to lead the way with 100% of the vote. I think that this is skewed voting. I thought this would be competitive or close or whatever. So maybe it's just a terrible question. But uh, I thought that uh, you could make a case for both sides. And I guess I'll probably try to make a case for both sides later. We'll answer this question around 1130 today. Flipping it on over to Twitter, this has been hotly discussed. uh, And I would say that each side is kind of uh, drawing a line in the sand and staking their claim on which side they land on here. For the question, should the NBA ban the weak side defensive charging foul that resulted in injuries on Sunday to Giannis and Ja Morant? At least according to the masses now, no out in front at 62.2% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 37.8 percent yeah and uh obviously you had the two guys the two two of the star players in the league or high profile players in the league going down uh when uh, the opponents uh, did draw the weak side and charging foul situation and they got hurt and uh yeah zach harper uh an excellent nba writer for several years now at the athletic wrote about this and Harper also moderated the podcast at the athletic uh, regarding this topic and you know our frequent sports zone guest Mo DeKeel was part of that and a uh, very good, good interesting discussion uh, if you have uh, access to the athletic podcast uh, and if you care about this topic uh, you should go listen to that because it's really it was really good and inspired my question quite frankly. Well, I'm excited to hear your answer, uh, and we will certainly get into that around 11.30 or so today. Uh, Briefly, before we get into the Suns and their game to victory, uh, we'll be monitoring what's going on in St. Louis as the Diamondbacks are looking to sweep the Cardinals. Madison Bumgarner is on the mound today, and it should be uh, uh, first pitch should be taking place here shortly. So we'll continue to monitor that throughout today's show. When it comes to the Suns picking up game two over the Clippers, 123 to 109, let's just do this first by the numbers. Devin Booker, 38 points on 14 of 22, including 
four of seven from three, along with nine assists. Kevin Durant, 25 points on 10 of 19, but he was 0 for 4 from three. Chris Paul, 16 points on 8 of 14 from the floor and 8 assists. DeAndre Ayton, 14 points, 7 of 10, 13 rebounds, but five fouls. And for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, 31 points, 11 of 20, 3 of 5 from three. And Russell Westbrook matching his energy from game one and producing some points in game two 28 points nine of 16 two of three from three and also hit all his free throws yeah i thought you know it's interesting you know westbrook had the better offensive numbers but i thought defensively he made some not good plays last night and that definitely helped the suns the suns the sun shot 58 percent and according to nba tv their starters scoring 110 points is the most that any starting five in the NBA, has scored in any playoff game since 2010. <laughs> okay, well, along those lines, let's talk about the bench. The Clippers bench, 30 points. The Suns bench, 13. They only had contributions from Josh Okogie and Busy. Okogie, 7 points. He had some good energy for 15 minutes. Busy, 6 points, 5 rebounds, 3 blocks for 15 minutes. Uh, Busy continues to show why he should be getting those minutes, just his energy and effort, and, of course, try to keep him off the foul line, though. Uh, well, that's probably something that, you know, the if he gets the ball in the paint uh, and it's, uh, you know, depending on the situation, I assume the Clippers are going to foul him. But, yeah, he's the only guy coming off the bench that really deserves to be on the floor. I mean, Okogi does some not good things out there. He's great. And I guess the regular season games against like the, the Houston Rockets or somebody. But he should not be. There's no other player that really has shown they deserve any minutes. Uh, coming off the bench other than uh, than Biombo as far as the Suns bench goes. And, you know, they did reduce the bench minutes last night. They had 44 bench minutes. That's 11 fewer in the first game. But as I mentioned, the only guy that deserves any meaningful minutes coming off the bench for the Suns in this series and probably the entire playoffs, no matter how long they go, is Bismack Biombo. I mean, they tried T.J. Warren. I don't know what the hell has happened to him. He's pretty much worthless at this point. He was a good offensive player the first time he was here. I know he's had some injuries since he left and came back, but he's no—he's not a productive player even at the offensive end. He used to be kind of a scoring machine or at least a good shot machine. He doesn't do that anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know they, they they just they just don't have anybody that can you know they should not those guys shouldn't be playing in playoff games meaningful minutes off the bench except for Biombo, I've had it with everybody else just play the starters until they drop I guess, uh, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Well, let's talk about the starters. And, of course, the man of the game was Devin Booker. Uh, Phoenix was down 13 points. Things kind of started to seem like they were potentially going the way they were in game one, spiraling out of control. The offense uh, really not in sync. The defense unable to get stops. Devin Booker took things over. And I think what really ignited at least the arena as well as the team is that uh, Booker was able to inch them closer there before the half and tie it up with that three at half. And then he picked up right where he left off in the third quarter. Certainly here, what was helpful is that the Clippers, they tried everything, right? They were trying to double Durant. They tried to drop into zone. They were throwing all sorts of defensive looks at the Suns, but Booker was able to really pick it apart and then knock open, knock down his wide open shots. 
Agreed. And I think the Suns really kind of uh, took control of this game at the end of the first half. They had an 11-2 run to end the first half. It was tied 59-59 at the end of the first half. They also scored on 10 of their final 11 possessions in the first half. And then they just ran them off the floor, basically, in the second half. And, you know, Booker had a spectacular third quarter. I've got the numbers here somewhere, but for some reason I can't find them right now. Oh, here we go. Uh, He had 18 points in the third quarter. He was 7 out of 7 from the field in the third quarter. And uh, he had 31 through three quarters. And, uh, you know, to me that was pretty much it. And the Clippers, I don't think, ever really made a serious run. I know they got within four maybe. Uh, in the fourth quarter, but at no point after the Suns had that run in the third quarter led by Booker, at no point did I think the Suns were in danger of losing the game. So I had thought that game one was Devin Booker's best defensive performance that I've seen him play. Uh, Wouldn't say the same for his offensive game. Obviously, the offensive game was on fire in game two, and I felt like the defensive effort was there as well. So could we say that this may have been Devin Booker's best playoff performance? The team needed him to kind of take over. The way that the Clippers were playing things on the defensive end of the ball led him to be the guy. He stepped up and he made those plays. Could you say that this was kind of his playoff moment so far in his career? Not in his career because he had a couple of monster games when they made it to the finals against uh, against Milwaukee, including, if I remember correctly, game two of that series against Milwaukee or game one, one of those two games when the Suns took the 2-0 lead. So I'm not sure if uh, it's the playoff moment, but yesterday he was really good. And uh, he's going to have to score. Um, I think it's more important. Now, I agree with you that he was really good on defense in that first game, but he's going to have to score points. They're going to have trouble winning playoff games if he's not scoring. Uh, you know, basically, they need you know, him and Durant to both you know, be scoring. But I, I, you know, Booker, I think the primary reason he's on the floor is to score points. You know, Durant, we've seen him play good defense for years in many different locations. <laughs> and... Uh, so that uh, it's not surprising when he has a good defensive game. But, you know, Booker, he's on the floor. He's got to score points as he's out there. Yeah, so I know that Kevin Durant didn't get to 30 points, and obviously Devin Booker got to 38, but it almost seems like from those two guys, you need at minimum 28 points a night from them in order to kind of secure uh, what you want from the Suns just because you're not getting it from the bench and kind of the other starters are – Hit or miss. I think their starting five is what I just mentioned. Uh, they've got 110 points last night, and you know, obviously the big two guys got the majority of those points. But you know, Torrey Craig's been really good in both games. You know, the first game I thought they just kind of the Clippers just let him shoot, uh, but you know, last night he made threes, and I think he's actually you know, doing as well as you could you know, expect somebody to try to do against against Leonard, and he's against him most of the time. And I thought that Aiton was really good last night before he got the fouls. And, uh, you know, and Stan Van Gundy pointed this out constantly, probably maybe more than he should have uh, during the uh, TNT broadcast, that Aiton and Biombo, they're, they're, the way that they set picks last night tremendously benefited uh, Durant and Booker into the shooting that they had and, yeah, those two guys shot well over 50% and the Sean's son shot 58% in the game.
You're 100% right about Tory Craig continuing to be really good since being inserted into the starting lineup. Uh, once again, 17 points, 6 of 9, 5 of 8 from 3. I think that that might be a little bit more in line with the number of shots you'd like to see Tory Craig take, but he continues to shoot the ball with confidence, and that's what you need when the ball swings your way uh, to, to fire it up with confidence. True, and uh, yeah, but he's out there also. I think there's his primary thing is uh, to play defense, and that's why he's starting, and that's why he's playing uh, in this particular series. That's why Biombo is, you know, those two guys need to d- defend because, let's face it, you know, the Suns, other than Durant, how many good defenders do they have? And uh, unfortunately, Chris Paul's not one of those defenders, and, he had a really good offensive game last night, and that's going to need to continue. And I think his, it's important for Paul to be productive at the offensive end, not necessarily just making shots, but you know, you know, the, the assisting and running the offense, etc. cetera, uh, because he's not a good defender anymore. And really, if you take a look at the Clippers, they've attacked Paul. You know, pretty much they've taken him off the dribble, and you know, he made some uh, deflections towards the end of the game. I think that Russ kind of went a little haywire. Also, at the uh, in the last three, you know, three or four minutes of that game, assuming you thought it was actually still a debate, you know, the, the decision was in doubt or a debate. But uh, you know, if, if, if basically Paul offensively was good, um, and it's great that he makes shots, but you know, it's that's kind of a bonus. But he has to do, he has to be a productive player at the offensive end of the floor at this stage of his career. And I know that I guess Twitter. I'm told at least Twitter was pretty much, uh, you know, saying he should retire uh, during the first half of that game when he didn't look good. Uh, that's correct. Yes, that was the main sentiment from Twitter and re- revolving around Chris Paul. Uh, but the offensive game did fire up for him uh, in contributing with 16 points. I do have some numbers from cleaning the glass. We know how good the Suns can be with their mid-range game, and they weren't very good with the mid-range game in Game One. Kevin Durant came out firing in Game Two. Uh, saw him be a little bit more aggressive to start the game. In addition to that, uh, I think it was part of the third quarter there were some shots that he also took there but the Suns from the mid-range according to cleaning the glass shot it at 64 percent meanwhile the Clippers shot it at 34.8 percent you certainly need the Suns to be able to shoot their mid-range game at a high clip because they aren't really a major three-point team uh, despite getting a lift from Devin Booker with four threes made in game two well, I, I'm with you. I think we all agree that the mid-range game is certainly uh, the Suns have players that are excellent at that, and uh, they should not get away from that. Monty Williams wanted them to get more threes, though, last night, and that definitely happened. They made 10 out of 24 uh, for, excuse me, from behind the arc after they were 6 out of 19 in game one. So they had more production also from behind the arc. But yeah, mid-game, that's uh, mid-range, excuse me, that's a big part of their game, and uh, they can't let that. Uh, that they still got to remember to do that, and it, it also helps when you make uh, the two big guys. You know, Booker and Durant made 24-41, and I don't uh, subscribe necessarily to the uh, you know just look at the mid-range stats and so forth. But I'm guessing the majority of those shots, um, even though Booker did make some threes, but 24 out of 41, 
they're not going to lose too many games when those two guys are combining for that high of a percentage. So I, too, was watching the TNT broadcast. I watched game one, Bally Sports Arizona, game two, TNT, just to kind of get a different perspective on what they're saying. And uh, one of the things that caught my attention from Stan Van Gundy, because we saw different guys getting different minutes from game one versus game two. In addition to that, Devin Booker playing 45 minutes. Uh, Stan was talking about the rotations for Monty Williams, and he continued to say that he feels like Monty is still figuring out the team uh is that based upon what he thinks is going to happen and the players in those bench roles don't come out and deliver or was it more you know game one indicative of some different foul trouble situations that he's still figuring it out because i didn't like hearing he's still figuring it out at this point in the playoffs yeah i think that he's still trying to quote figure it out because who the hell do you trust off this bench as i mentioned and I'm going to continue to mention this, and I might be wrong by the, you know, if the Suns are having a parade here and they win a championship. I'm probably going to be wrong about this. But other than Biombo, nobody else on this roster right now deserves any meaningful time in a playoff game. You know, meaningful time, close game, etc. A couple minutes here and there, but nobody has really warranted any really lengthy time other than Biombo, who was an excellent defender, block shots, and he's a tremendous rebounder. Uh, we do have to make note of this because it happened. It was a Scott Foster game yesterday. Chris Paul, <laughs> he got his first playoff win with Scott Foster refing it. So congratulations. Maybe we can move on from that sentiment now. Hopefully. This is the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard. I could care less. Uh, you know, Chris Paul, you know, you know, was it you know it was Scott Foster's fault that the, the the Suns lost to the Mavericks in this playoffs last year? Apparently so. And uh, he, Paul wouldn't even let it go last night after the game. He was asked about it, and he trashed the NBA and uh, Scott Foster again. Just shut up and let it go. The other thing that I thought was just total nonsense here the last few days is that Durant had lost seven consecutive playoff games. Like that's his fault. I do have one other question here, though, regarding this this matchup. Is you're looking at this Suns team and how they're really clearly in a battle here with the Clippers uh, through the first two games, and the series will obviously move to LA on Thursday. If you're the Suns, don't you have to hope that the reports so far have been accurate that Paul George won't be making his way back for this particular series because that clearly changes everything uh you know because obviously we saw what they're trying to do defensively doubling either Booker or KD and leaving one person open knock down those shots in game two but if Paul George is out there they're able to play a completely different style of basketball defensively two different thing two things here first up even if he plays is he going to be any good uh, the other thing is, it's my understanding, at least from what they said last night on TNT, that George basically said that he's not playing in this series. Yeah, that's what I heard. So I think as like a Suns fan, you have to hope that that's accurate, right? Because I think that that right. changes the dynamics of things because this is already a slugfest. But like I said, just because he's going you know, played, if he doesn't play for another week, he will now have played for almost a month. So is he going to be good when he comes back right off the bat? And if he comes back, it's going to be late in the series. And you know, so he's going to have to do something if he's going to you know, be an impact. 
Yeah, I think the best thing for the Suns so far is that Leonard's played all these minutes and, you know, there's no really, you know, extra time off between the uh, first four games of this series. You know, Leonard's a load management guy during the regular season. Is he going to be able to withstand all this playing time? Because he has to do everything for them. We'll get into more around the NBA. We'll look back to the Celtics contest against the Hawks, as well as the Knicks contest against the Cavs from last night. It is the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is April 19th. We'll get into some NBA from last night. We'll dive into some Major League Baseball in the upcoming segment. But for now, uh, the game is underway for the Diamondbacks and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Diamondbacks looking for the sweep. Madison Bumgarner on the mound, though. He opened things up with two straight doubles and the Cardinals are on top one nothing with Paul Goldschmidt at the plate right now uh, nobody out for the uh, Cardinals right now as uh, well actually I think now there is somebody out that's Paul Goldschmidt he's out uh, but it's still you one struck nothing. out on a you just struck out on the pitch that was like a foot out of the strike zone they <laughs> called him for you know called strike three which was a horrendous call by the home plate umpire I think that's why I was like, nobody's out. Okay, Paul Goldschmidt is out. But anyway, uh, the Cardinals are on top one nothing there as the game is in the bottom of the first. Let's go back to last night. The Celtics taking a 2-0 series lead after beating the Hawks 119-106 to by the numbers. Jason Tatum, 29 points on 12 of 22 and 5 of 9 from 3. For the Hawks, you had DeJounte Murray, 29 points on 11 of 24 and 7 of 13 from 3. Trey Young. 24 points, 9 of 22, and 2 of 8 from 3. You had the Hawks down at one point by 20. They cut the lead to single digits in the third quarter. Interesting, though, that they cut that lead in the third quarter when Trey Young was on the bench. Yeah, perhaps not interesting. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine there's a scenario where they don't trade him. Uh, The problem is you got to find somebody that wants him. Uh, but you mentioned you like DeJounte Murray. I do. Um, you mentioned him the other day. There's no reason for him. Murray's a ball-dominant player. Trey Young is all about Trey Young. There is no reason for them to have both those guys on the same team. So good luck trying to trade him. I know the Athletic had a recent poll. I forgot how they exactly phrased this, but they, you know, they had you know, players voting and uh, he's like the most unpopular or unthought of player in the league, Trey Young. He's got to go. Uh, but it wasn't all Trey Young last night. Uh, the Hawks just, the, the, just a lack of effort was disgusting. There were multiple times in this game where multiple Hawks players were jogging back on defense. And I mean jogging back on defense. And the Celtics got easy baskets. A complete lack of professionalism from the Hawks players, not just Young, but others. And uh, they're down 0-2. They might win a game at home in Atlanta where they're, you know, they've got a you know, wild crowd there sometimes. I don't know, maybe the wild crowd's kind of lost its enthusiasm. Uh, but when they made that playoff run a couple of years ago, the unexpected playoff run, 
it was certainly a difficult place to play. They may win a game in Atlanta, but this is a four or five game series. And uh, very, very disappointing, like I said, just a complete lack of unprofessional play and you know, gutless, quite frankly, performance and effort from the Hawks. Uh, to that point, yeah, the Celtics continue to bring the energy, the hustle. Uh, they're beating the Hawks in transition, getting those loose balls. So certainly uh, Quinn Snyder has his work cut out for him in the offseason to maybe we finally see some of those moves of those all those list of Hawks players that are always on the, the brink of being traded and then they're never traded. Uh, but as to your point, you would like to see Trey Young move along and kind of reshape this Hawks team. Yeah, well, I'm not. I wasn't a Trey Young fan at Oklahoma. Uh, I thought his the teammates hated him when he was at Oklahoma, and apparently they don't like him in Atlanta either. Uh, not surprising. Uh, the Hawks have hired Mike Bray uh, for next. I don't know what he's doing. I think he's. I don't know if he's doing anything for them this year. But Mike Bray, the former Notre Dame coach, who I always thought was one of the best college coaches, and uh, you know, there's a connection there because you know Mike Bray was an assistant at Duke when uh, Quinn Schneider was a player at Duke. Uh, so I'm sure that's kind of where that starts from. But, uh, you know, I'm actually a little surprised Mike Bray didn't get a college job. Uh, but there weren't that many high-profile college openings and uh, in the sport this year. So maybe he's just waiting for a better gig next year when he anticipates there'll be better, better jobs open. And shockingly, Madison Bumgarner is allowing more runs. Yes, that was confusing. I think they all thought it was foul, so nobody moved, and then it was fair, and so they were able to get more runs home. Uh, when it comes to Friday's contest, at least as this morning on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, Celtics minus five, Hawks plus five. The Cavs and the Knicks. The Cavs took it to the Knicks last night, beating them 107-90. to They have tied the series up 1-1. Uh, you were thinking to yourself, uh, well, Donovan Mitchell, he can't be shooting the ball 30-plus times. Well, he didn't. He only had 17 points on 6 of 11 with 13 assists. The person leading the Cavaliers' charge was Darius Garland, 32 points on 8 of 17 and 6 of 10 from 3. You also had Karis LeVert off the bench with 24 points on 9 of 16. The Knicks... They only shot 36.7% from the floor and 24.1% from three. Yeah, professionalism, uh, something the Hawks don't have. The Cavaliers do have it. Uh, they played from start to finish. Uh, you know, they were 31-10 and 10 at home during the regular season. So it seemed pretty unlikely they were going to go down 0-2. But you mentioned Garland. Uh, he had 26 points on 10 field goal attempts in the first half. And uh, they led by 29 in this game before, you know, the Knicks made a, uh, you know, kind of a bogus run at some point. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, Josh Hart, he did play for the Knicks. And he's a very important player for them. Uh, he had the ankle injury towards the end of game one. He was out there last night, but he didn't do much. He had five points, 26 minutes, and obviously was hobbling around and kind of, uh, you know, admired him for giving it a go, but you just really couldn't do much. And uh, I would assume that uh, if the Knicks are any good, uh, have any chance to win this series, quite frankly, or make it a long series, that Josh Hart's going to have to be a contributor at some point, uh, which he has been since he got traded from Portland at the trade deadline. And kind of one of the, uh, you know, concluding by me, untalked about trade deadline moves that uh, has, has made a difference. You know, the Knicks played much better in the second half. 
I don't have the exact numbers. Uh, you know, they they were much. Their record is was much better, and everything was much better. You know, statistically, uh, after they acquired uh, Hart from uh, from Portland at the, at the trade deadline. Uh, for Friday's contest, the Cavs plus two, Knicks minus two. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. We'll uh, pause on NBA discussion for tonight's games in hour number two. We'll get into that. On the other side of the break, though, if you'd like to join the show, talk about the Phoenix Suns getting game two over the Clippers. Feel free to give us a call, 602-260-1060. Once again, the number to call, 602-260-1060. We'll take your calls now, get to you on the other side of the break. We'll also dive in to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They beat the St. Louis Cardinals yesterday 8-7. How'd they do it? Plus, they're already down 3-0 heading into the top of the second with Madison Bumgarner getting the start in the third game of the series this morning. 602-260-1060. We'll take your calls and some Major League Baseball and Diamondbacks discussion is coming up next. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. Point here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. You have the Arizona Diamondbacks competing against the St. Louis Cardinals, trailing 3 0 in the top of the second. You have Madison Bumgarner on the mound against Woodford for the St. Louis Cardinals. But how did we get here to the Diamondbacks looking for a sweep of the Cardinals? They had an 8-7 to seven victory over uh, St. Louis yesterday. Paul Goldschmidt, though, got the scoring started for the Cardinals with a 403-foot homer to left in the first. The Diamondbacks found themselves having a massive fourth inning at the plate to pile on six runs, but really struggled trying to hold on to this victory here and kind of surprising. He's been good this year. Andrew Chafin, he uh, only was able to make it through a third of an inning, two hits, three runs, one walk, and one home run in this uh, contest. That's true. Uh, and, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, that uh, Chafin and also Castro had to pitch both Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I'm sure they're both unavailable today. They did get Manta play off the injured list yesterday and, yeah, you know, I can't imagine that they're going to have him pitch two straight days right off of the injured list. So, you know, their bullpen's short to begin this game. They just uh, scored, I think, a two-run homer here. Correct. Think, two Alec Wood, Thomas. Yeah, well, yeah, he's actually showed a little more pop than I thought. Um, so, and uh, I don't think he should, uh, until further notice, I don't think he should maybe ever hit against a left-handed pitcher. Uh, but Woodford, who was a long shot to make the Cardinals roster to begin with and is only on their roster because they've got so many starting pitching injuries to begin the season. You know, he's the uh, starting pitcher today for St. Louis. And I guess uh, if you have the over in this game and it's already up to f- it's five and we're you know, one out into the uh, top of the second inning, uh, you probably like your chances at this point if you're uh, somebody that has the over in this contest. 
Uh, so we'll continue to monitor the Diamondbacks throughout the rest of today's show. Moving into some other games from yesterday across Major League Baseball, you had the Rays topping the Reds 10-0. Your Rays, they just keep winning, Bob. Yeah, but they got the worst possible news from Jeffrey Springs yesterday. He was injured last week while we were on the air, and uh, he walked off the mound, threw a pitch, and just walked off the mound. Uh, and uh, he's out for the season. He's probably out for the start of next season. He's headed for Tommy John surgery. He had a 0.50 earned run average after three starts this year, which was the best of any starter in baseball. And he, you know, the J, the uh, Rays, excuse me, have seemingly had a, you know, they always have pitchers. Uh, seeming who who knows where they're coming from sometimes, but. There, this is a big loss for them, a huge loss for them. He was tremendous at the end of last year and uh, you know, obviously got off to a great start this year. But, yeah, I, I, you know, we were on, like I said, we were on the air, and I knew something was really bad uh, when he got hurt and just walked off the mound last week. The Angels beat the Yankees 5-2. to Otani hit uh, a home run in the first to right center field. But I guess the news for the Yankees here, Giancarlo Stanton likely to miss six weeks because of a strained left hamstring. Uh, interesting here, you know, we know that he has had some injury history, but this is now his seventh trip to the injured list in five seasons with the Yankees. Well, and I think it's got to be particularly upsetting because of the way he got injured this time. Uh, he thought he hit a home run and uh, was you know, basically going into his home run trot and it instead went off the wall and he injured his hamstring hus- trying to hustle to second base after he was dogging it to start with. Uh, then you had the Braves topping the Padres 8-1 to yesterday. Blake Snell, five innings, three hits, two runs, three walks, five strikeouts, and one home run. The Padres only had four hits for the game. With their lineup, you have to have more than four hits, right? Yeah, even though you know, Spencer Strider is really good, and uh, the Braves are really good. In fact, uh, we talked about that match Schneider yesterday from CBSSports.com, and I think the Braves might make this National League East a joke here quickly. You know, they've had tons of pitchers out so far. They've got a shortstop injury issue, and they're destroying their opponents. Uh, with the exception of three games they played San Diego and Atlanta, that was actually a four-game series earlier this season, and uh, Atlanta won the first game, and then the, the Padres pretty much had their way the next three games. But other than that, that's pretty much what the Padres have done this season, even though they're getting healthier. But the Braves are getting some of their starting pitchers back. Max Fried pitched and won on Monday night. Uh, you know, Kyle Wright has already returned. Iglesias, who's their closer, hasn't thrown a pitch so far this season because he was injured during spring training. He threw off a mound the other day. Mike Soroka, who basically hasn't pitched for two years, he might be back here pretty quickly. And uh, the Braves are actually getting healthier when other teams are losing key players, especially in the National League East with the Phillies and the Mets suffering multiple injured list situations uh, early in the season. Uh, They could make this National League kind of a joke. Uh, Certainly the East, and right now, uh, the Braves, uh, win if they're intact, and it looks like they're going to be intact here very soon, they could, I think, run away with the National League, the entire National League. 
One more before we get to the phone line. 602-260-1060 is the number, but the Dodgers beating the Mets 5-0. And the big thing here is that it was Clayton Kershaw's 200th yeah. career win. Seven innings pitched, three hits, no runs, nine strikeouts. Yeah, th- this was so good last night. And, yeah, he's a pitcher now. I mean, he's not – you know, when he first came up, he was, I think, a thrower, and he's lear- he learned how to pitch as we went along here. Now he's just clearly uh, – he's not necessarily tricking guys, but you know, the way that he's added pitchers like this wicked curveball thing that he's got going here. Uh, watching him last night, you know, I was watching a little bit of that while the Suns were, you know, playing. Uh, this was a – it was a pleasure to watch him pitch. He had a one-hitter going in the seventh inning last night, and uh, – Good for him. Hopefully he stays healthy. He's unfortunately had back injuries for many years, ever since, uh, which actually started when the uh, Major League Baseball decided they're going to have this stupid-ass trip to Australia for the Diamondbacks and Dodgers to start the season. And not only did Kershaw get hurt on the plane ride uh, coming back from that, I maybe that could happen anywhere, but that's when it happened. Uh, so I continue to use that. You continue to use that as kind of a you know starting point. For his back injuries, and that's you know other people have done that too. I'm stealing from others on that, but that happened, and also that same road trip, uh, that was you know they, they they had to hustle through spring training those two teams that year, the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers, and Patrick Corbin uh, hustled his way through it and ended up with Tommy John surgery because of that. So a great idea that Major League Baseball you know start to have two games in Australia, just stupid at the time. And just, you know, stupid long-term for both those guys. KDOS hotline for phone calls as promised. Morty, what's on your mind today? Hello? Yeah, Morty, what's going on today? Hello? Yeah, Morty, what's going on today? Okay. Uh, I just wanted to improve Bob's knowledge on Mike Bray, if I could. Okay. You went to Um, Delaware. He was a coach there for, I believe, five years. It took him to two, uh, you know, uh, March Madness tournaments. Uh, and another little known nugget, he had a player by the name of Spencer Dunkley, and that's yeah. probably one of the best names in basketball ever. And he was a good player, too. Um, yes, he was. I think that Mike... I think Mike Bray is one of the best college basketball best college basketball coaches in the last 30 years, uh, maybe longer than that. Um, he's done when he was at Notre Dame. He did an incredible job, you know, changing his team's style from year to year, maybe even during seasons, uh, depending on what kind of talent he had around him. He 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 went he's, he went big some years. He went uh, small ball some years guard oriented uh and the fact that he was able to adapt from season to season based on his personnel seems like an easy thing to try to do but uh there's not that many coaches especially in college basketball that can pull that off yeah i watched more notre dame basketball with mike bray did than i will again and did before so. Yeah, and he'll be. I, I I can't imagine he will not. If he wants to be another, he'll be a college basketball coach again. And uh, I'm not exactly. He got hired by the Hawks like yesterday or something, like sometime this week. And I'm not exactly sure what he's doing with them. But uh, I think part of the reason that he probably uh, didn't remain in college basketball for next season is you know there weren't that many 
big-time jobs out there, especially after the Texas job you know, was officially filled, finally. Uh, so you know, I think he's probably just uh, thinking, maybe I shouldn't think for him here, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's just uh, speculating there are going to be better jobs open next year and he'll try to get one of those. That makes sense to me, Bob. Thanks for the call, Morty. Good Appreciate good it. You're welcome. 602-260-1060 is the number to join the show. We'll take more calls around 11.15 today. On the other side of the break, we'll uh, let you know about Putting World in Scottsdale. We'll dive into the PGA Tour Zurich Classic. It's a team event, so what on earth are we supposed to do? How is the data going to help us? I don't know if it's going to. Have fun. No, thank you. We'll we'll try to no figure problem. out what to do here uh, for the PGA Tour and the Zurich Classic. That's all coming up next as we wrap up our number one of the extra point on this Wednesday, April nineteenth. Hey, Phoenix. Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you. 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060. up our number one of Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. If you haven't heard the spots yet, let me tell you a bit about Putting World in Scottsdale. It's a fun way to test your skills with your friends. It's an 18-hole putting course with some of the best indoor greens I've ever putted on. Bragging rights are on the line or money prizes as well. If you enter the Saturday night contest, you can learn how to be a better putter with the performance studios check it all out plus bar 19 has some of the best food you could imagine and drinks as well that's puttingworld.com let's look into the pga tour as i mentioned here it's the zurich classic uh tpc louisiana par 72 7425 yards it's a team format but first bob uh you could hang out in new orleans right I have hung out in New Orleans. <laughs> okay. I was young. I was young in those days. Thank God. I mean, I don't think I could do it now because I, all the Cajun food in my stomach may not uh, exactly, uh, you know, coexist. But I loved New Orleans when I was young and stupid and foolish and had fun. <laughs> well, we'll see how the guys uh, fare in the the heart of New Orleans here for the TPC Louisiana event. It's 80 teams are competing. You have a cut down to 33. The Thursday format is four ball, which that just means best ball, best score. Friday is foursomes, which means alternate shot. Then you have the cut. Saturday goes back to four ball and Sunday is foursomes. Uh, I'm not really sure how you can really use data to figure this whole thing out because of the formatting the team atmosphere here so maybe you just look at who's playing well who has the uh, ability to get along know each other's games really well some of these teams here you're kind of wondering how did these teams get put together do they even actually know each other this seems like maybe the agents thought it was a great idea but uh when it comes to the top of the board you have dastardly agents (laughs) (laughs) you know here you go go make some money uh there's still some fedex cut points on the line and certainly help yourself secure your pga tour card for next year 
Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, they're the odds-on favorite. They won this event last year, and we know that they're really, really good friends. Plus 290 on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Then you have Colin Morikawa and Max Homa. Both of these guys played at Cal. Uh, they are plus 750. Max Homa is coming off of uh, not a very good performance at the RBC Heritage. Colin Morikawa played fairly well. Then you have Sunjay M and Keith, Keith Mitchell. Sunjay M has sort of found his stride here of late. Keith Mitchell, however, started off the year playing really well and has kind of petered out just a bit here. They're teaming up. They're 13 to 1 on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Then you have Tom Kim, Siwoo Kim. This was a match that played really well in the President's Cup back in, what was that, September, October, something like that. Uh, they're at 16 to 1. Then you have to look here at Billy Horschel and Sam Burns. Uh, Billy Horschel happens to be one of the few unique players in this field because he won this event when it was an individual tournament. He's also won it when it's been a team tournament. So he loves TPC Louisiana. The problem here is he's playing awful this year. So I'm not sure that you can trust him to be a solid uh, contributing partner for Sam Burns, who's obviously kind of found something after he won the Dell Technologies match play. They're 21 to 1. Here I'm going. I'm going further down the board. We're having fun with it. I'm going with Thorborn Olison, who mainly plays on the European Tour. He hasn't played since February, though, but his last five starts, a T20, a T16, a T4, a first, and a T6, and he's partnering up with Nikolai Hogard. He nearly won at Cor- Corrales Putacana. He finished second. Uh, then he also finished in a T28 at the Valero Texas Open. So why not? Let's just throw a flyer here out at 46 to 1. Have some fun. Uh, it's too challenging for me to take Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley at plus 290. Also taking the tandem of Olison and Hogard in a top 20 at plus 130. Let's go with the the Fitzpatrick brothers as well. Matt Fitzpatrick, who just won the RBC Heritage, his brother Alex Fitzpatrick, top 20 at plus 145, and Joel Damon and Denny McCarthy for a top 20 at plus 130. Hour number two of Extra Point is coming up next right here on KDOS AM 1060.